0: What's going on, everybody?
1: This is Hostile Q and A number six, and I have about two hundred questions that I've sifted through, and I think I cut it down to fifty, maybe. So we have a lot of questions that I'm going to try and get to. Uh, I thought I just picked out the most popular ones, so I'm going to leave a lot of the questions in the description below. So make sure you check it out. Look down, and uh, all the questions will be there. So if you don't want to listen to all of this, you can go through and find. Uh, the question you're most interested in, and you can click on that. Also, a lot of you asked me to put this up for podcasts, for audio listening, so this whole thing will be released uh, on my Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and um, it'll be released all at once. Those of you watching on YouTube, it'll probably be, probably, probably be released in two or three parts because it's so long. Um, so, without uh, wasting any more time, let's get to the questions and see uh, what's what. So the first question is from Jake's Physique and he asks, how much experience should one have before they do their first show? Uh, For me, it was pretty simple. I basically assessed my physique and I um, looked at what I needed. I was like, okay, I don't have any Legs, I don't have any back, I don't have any arms, uh, I got a decent chest, and that was about it. So that's where I was starting. So I said, okay, I'm gonna give myself a year and a half, maybe a little less, 14 months, 15 months, and uh, see what I can do. And I took all that time and put on the right amount of muscle. And when I got to my first show, I won my first show in the overall, but I gave myself the time I thought I needed to build a good frame. And that reference came from friends that had already been competing. So I already talked to some friends that said, you know, it's going to take you X amount of time to build this amount of muscle. So I took their advice and I, I was very critical of myself. I wasn't delusional at all. And uh, I gave myself the time I needed to put on the muscle to step on stage and not embarrass myself, but don't be scared to ask for help. Don't be scared to find a coach. Don't be scared to find somebody to help you with your posing uh don't be scared to help somebody find with your tr- help you with your training look everybody thinks they know how to train everybody thinks they know how to diet oh i got a good diet i got a good training program there's probably somebody out there with a better one so if you're just starting out look around get some help uh do your research uh find a coach if you can afford it and uh give yourself the time you need and just go by the mirror just go by the mirror when you feel like you put on a lot of size and you feel like you you had a good off season Then say, okay, I'm going to diet down. I need 12 to 16 weeks. I'm going to get ready for my first show. But don't don't pick a show like, if you've never competed, you just started working out, don't pick a show like three months away and expect to walk on stage and crush everybody unless you're a genetic freak. Next question is from Sip Freak Customs. And he says, what is the tattoo on your back? The tattoo on my back is from a book called Dynamic, Dynamic Anatomy. And it's a guy kind of in like in the thinking pose. I got it when I was 25 or 26, something like that. And I don't regret getting it. I'm happy I got it. To me, it kind of represents who I am. Uh, I feel like I'm an emotional uh, bodybuilder.
0: I'm a aggressive bodybuilder. I'm a intense bodybuilder and, but I'm a
1: bodybuilder at heart. So it's kind of like a guy, he's really muscular, but it's an anatomy of the guy. So all the skin is torn off. You can see all the muscle fibers, but he's thinking, and I, I, that's just kind of who I feel like I am. Um, so yeah, at the time it, it suited what I, what I believed, what I believed in and who I thought I was. So I got it tattooed on my back. Ricardo Valentino says, do you think we'll ever see another Ronnie Coleman? Ronnie Coleman is, okay, I'm going to say this. First of all, I'm never going to say never because we're always progressing as people. But I believe Ronnie Coleman is going to stand the test of time, at least in my lifetime, because... Number one, the standards for the IFBB have changed. So they don't necessarily want mass freaks anymore. They want streamlined physiques that look pretty but still have muscle. So it's hard to get to Ronnie's size while still staying streamlined. Like one of the things people don't realize is people claim, oh, this guy's got gut, that guy's got a gut, blah, blah, blah. When you break your body's genetic potential, like everybody has a genetic potential. So for me, for example, I believe my body's genetic potential probably was 240 to 245. Okay. I feel like once I broke past that and tried to put on more muscle than my frame could hold, that's probably a better way to say it. Everybody has that amount of muscle their body can hold and still look good. I feel like once you break that level, that muscle's got to go somewhere and starts to go to your waist and this and that. And now since, since, the waist has become such a focal point of the physique. Guys aren't going to be able to get to Ronnie Coleman's size and not worry about blowing out their waist. So I don't know if we're going to get a guy like Ronnie Coleman that's that dominant in so many different body parts. Like we have a we have Big Rami. And Big Rami is close to a Ronnie Coleman in size but not in dominance, not that sheer mass and perfect proportions and perfect symmetry and and all those things. So it's tough. I, I don't know if we'll see it again until maybe if the pendulum swings the other way again and the IFBB starts looking for more mass freaks, then it could definitely happen. But with the way the judging and the, the scope of how the IFBB is right now, I feel like it's definitely not conducive to – to bringing out that super crazy mass freak that will just blow away everybody. Kay Marvelous says what got Luke and you together to start a podcast? Did you have anyone else in mind beforehand? Uh, me and Luke met on a photo shoot and an expo for iron rebel when we were both sponsored by them. And, uh, we kind of just hit it off and became friends not like friends, like call each other every fucking night kind of thing, but like, you know, work friends, we just kind of got along and, uh, I had them on the podcast and we had a lot of fun on the podcast. People enjoyed it a lot and I felt like we had a good chemistry. So I thought, Hey, you know what? Why don't we do a one hour show every every week and just shoot the shit? Cause we kind of get along like that. So I was like, if the symmetry is good and people are, and pe- the synergy is good and uh, people like it, then why not, uh, why not go on with it? Plus, it, it's almost like a means for me to keep in touch because I'm not really good at keeping in touch with long-distance friends. So when we do the podcast, it's a way for me to keep in touch with Luke and uh, keep our friendship strong and also put out some good, good content that people seem to like and enjoy watching. Pat Vecchio, 64, says, What's your opinion on the push-pull leg routine? I know John Meadows is a big advocate of it. What's your opinion of this routine and have you ever, have you ever used it? Um, I think it's a great routine for somebody who likes that style personally. It's not for me. Ever since I started working out, I have been a one or two body part a day person. I train five or six days a week, one or two body parts a day, and that's just always been my style and it's all I know. And I tried doing like a different combinations and I feel like I just can't get the right amount of work in, but I'm pretty sure it's probably just because something I didn't start from the beginning. And I just, you know, after 20 years, you're not going to just completely revamp everything you're doing. Personally, I feel like, um, I'm definitely not an advocate of full body routines, but push pull legs is a good routine. I think definitely for somebody starting out. Okay. Somebody starting out, somebody, you know, a few months in until they kind of get their bearings, understand what works for them and what feels good and what doesn't a year in maybe they can change it. Now, if you're doing push bowl legs, let's say you just started working out, you're doing push bowl legs and you put on a ton of muscle and you're doing great. Don't change it. If you are progressing, whatever you're doing in this sport, I don't care what anybody says to you. If you're eating dog shit, and you're getting bigger and you're gaining more muscle, and someone says, Hey, stop eating dog shit, go get some steak. Tell them to just don't bother listening to them. Just turn away and do your own thing because I know that sounds really stubborn. But if you're making good progress, I don't mean like you're gaining a little bit of muscle here and there. I mean, if you're making good progress and you're seeing yourself uh, progress past your friends and you're doing well in competition and You're really making good progress that you can measure. Uh, I wouldn't change anything. So like I said, if you are doing a push-pull leg and you're seeing significant strength gains, muscle gains, you're seeing your body change, and you enjoy it, by all means, keep doing it. Um, But if one day you see those gains slow down or start to stop or halt for a long period of time, it could be time for you to advance to the next phase. And for me, that was, I believe the next phase after push, pull legs is like two body parts a day. You know what I mean? Like you're going to train uh chest and shoulders one day. You're going to train back and calves. You're going to train buys and tries, you know, this kind of setup, you know? So, uh,
0: I think it's okay to start, but everything is a progression in this sport. Mike Sheldon 4 says, do you think you will ever do
1: another show? If I can stay healthy, which is a big, huge if at this point, because my body seems to, the closer I get to a show and the more my body fat levels drop, my body seems to not want to cooperate for lack of a better, lack of a better phrase. Um, as of right now, I have in my head that I will do the Indy Pro next year, or if they give me the invite to the Arnold, which they probably won't because you have to compete the years previous to get the Arnold invite. Um, unless you're like Dexter Jackson or something. Um, so if that's the case, I have my eyes set on the Indy Pro and I'm doing everything with my surgeon and my physio and my coach, John, to get myself to that indie pro and in the best health that I can. Um, Josh R. Bate says, how do you not feel small when cutting and how do you not feel fat when building size? I do feel fat when building size. When I'm putting on muscle, like right now, okay, I'm trying to keep myself up at 285, 290 because I'm hurt and I'm trying to like keep my fullness and keep some of this muscle on uh, since I'm not training at 100% and I do feel fat. But all I think to myself is this is a means to an end, okay? Other people have other opinions. Other people can say, oh, you can stay lean, oh, you can stay looking good, you can do this and that. Um, Not for me, okay? For me, my off seasons have been a little bit chubby. I get a little bit fat. It doesn't feel great. It doesn't look great in clothes. It doesn't look great naked. But my wife likes it. And I know it's a means to get to my next goal, and that's all that matters. So, even though something might not be perfect in the moment, if you're aiming towards something down the road, then you have to. For you know, I, I hate this phrase so much, but you have to trust the process. And sometimes that process is not exactly what you want. Now, same when, Same thing goes when you're cutting. When I'm getting ready for a show, the first few weeks. And the last few weeks, sometimes I feel small and shitty. I'm like, in the beginning, you're, you still have fat on your body, but your muscle starts to flatten out, so you look like shit. And then at the end, you are so depleted that you're like, do I even have any muscle? Like, I can't feel anything in the gym and this and that. Those are all normal feelings, but you just have to... This is why we have coaches. This this is, this is exactly what me and Luke were talking about our podcast. This is why we have coaches, because when you're feeling depleted when you feel small and your coach says just eat this and do this and do that you don't have to think about it you don't have to worry that you feel small your coach has got his eye on you and you can just focus on getting the food in and training your ass off and doing the cardio um but if you're asking if we all feel like that yeah we all feel like that and we just push through because you have to understand the process Jordanella says, What is one thing you would change about actual bodybuilding shows? The only thing I would change about shows, um, I like it when all the shows are on one day. That's first of all. So if it's a Toronto pro show, if it's a New York pro, if it's a whatever pro show, I like it when it's on the same day at only like two day shows. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, I would move the finals. Closer, which I've done at my own shows. So at my shows, I have two amateur shows that I run. At my shows, the pre judging is at nine o'clock and the finals is usually at two or three o'clock. Now, the reason we did that is it's really easy for people to get out of the show pre judging, go have one meal or two meals, and come back and get right back on stage. They're not tired, they're not fussing with where to go, where to be. Any stuff, And secondly, after finals, it's only like 7 or 8 o'clock, 6 or 7 o'clock. It's not hard for anybody to get out of the show and go find a place to eat. In years past, we would have the show at like 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock. By the time you got out of the show, it was 10 or 11. A lot of restaurants are closed. You know, some of the pub and grub ones are open or whatever, but a lot of the nicer restaurants are closed or, you know, you have trouble just finding places to go. So I think shows should be done all at once, in the morning, finals should be in the afternoon, early, closer to the pre-judging, get the show done, and then you can have after parties, or you can have dinners, or you can have whatever you want, because you have the entire rest of the evening. As far as the way the shows are run, I don't really have any complaints. I'm, I'm kind of used to the system. It, I, don't, I can't think anything of anything off the top of my head that I would change. Um,
0: I, I think they're, they run pretty smooth. I, I kind of like the way things are. I would just kind of make them closer together.
1: DC Free says, D, DC Free 786 says, if you could only do one exercise per body part for the rest of your life, what would those exercises be and why? And I'm not going to go through all these, but let's just say they're they're all compound movements. So I enjoy bench press, squat military press barbell rows deadlifts you know standing barbell curls press downs there you go there's all the body parts <laughs> so i just uh i like the compound stuff okay so just let's leave it at that yari 513 says i sometimes lose a pump towards the end of my training does that mean maybe i trained for too long It could. There have been times when my eating has been good. I've been eating tons of calories. And my I felt so good in the gym, I just wanted to keep going. And you know, you reach a point where your pump is like insane. And then if you keep going past that point, then you're like, Oh, okay, I lost my pump a little bit. And when you leave the gym, you don't feel as good as you felt had you left one exercise earlier. Now that is something I had to learn because I always felt like more was better. And there was a point in my career where, I, where John took over and he was like, no, 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 let's pull back. So I would get to a point where I felt really, really good. And I would do a couple of exercises and then I'd be like, okay, you're finished. And I'm like, okay, I feel like I could do more, but I'm going to go home. And I would go home and I would feel way better the next day, the next week. And I kept progressing that entire off season. Now, the other thing is you could be eating enough, but you could be eating the wrong thing. So Let's say your pre-workout meal is like chicken and rice, okay? Or chicken and, or shrimp and rice, or something really clean, like just a protein and a carb. Uh, One of the problems is, like for me, for example, if I eat potatoes, let's let's say I eat chicken and potato and there's no fat in it. My body will take in the potato, absorb it, and then it'll be gone. So my blood sugar goes like this. Potato goes in, blood sugar goes up my body just absorbs it. And then my blood sugar crashes really fast afterward. And it might be just because it's such a, it's a, you know, white starch like that. You know, the potato seems to digest really fast for me. So just my insulin levels just go up and down. And when they go down, I kind of lose my pump because now your blood sugar is kind of dropped and your body's not functioning the way it should be. So uh, one of the things I did to combat that is if I'm going to have olive oil, if I'm going to have Uh, potatoes, I'll have some olive oil. So I'll actually bake a potato, mash it up and put a tablespoon of olive oil on it with uh, salt and pepper. And I'll have that with my chicken. And that little bit of olive oil is not enough to bloat me and ruin my workout, but it's enough to slow down that potato digestion. So it's, it it could be the same thing for you. Everybody's going to digest things differently. So it could be the same thing if you eat, this has happened to me with chicken and rice. If I eat chicken and white rice, the, it will sometimes digest extremely fast depending on how insulin sensitive I am uh, that, that fa- in that phase of my off season. Let's say, and I'm not saying I take insulin. I'm saying, you know, sometimes your body gets insulin resistant or carb, for lack of a better word, you get carb sensitive or carb resistant. So sometimes I'm really carb sensitive. And at those times, if I'm eating chicken and rice, that rice can go through me fast. Like my body, my blood sugar will spike and it will drop. And then by the end of the workout, I'm tired and I've kind of lost my pump. One of the things I've done to extend that blood sugar and get it to be more of a level instead of a spike is I'll add coconut oil. So I'll cook my rice, I'll cook my chicken. And after both are done, I will melt a tablespoon of coconut oil on top of the rice with some salt. And that. First of all, the salt is going to help with my pump, but the fat, even though it's, it's a, the MCT oil is even better, right? Cause your, your coconut oil is half MCT. So your body's going to use that for energy too, but it's not full MCT. So it's still going to slow down that blood sugar rush from the rice. So it'll extend that blood sugar, right? That will allow me to keep my pump through my whole workout. So those to me are probably, I'm assuming from knowing who you are that you probably are eating enough. Uh, But that to me is probably the reason why your blood sugar is dropping so quick. You're either training too much and you don't know when to get out, which I've been there, or the food that you're eating before your training is being digested too quickly. Okay? So those are the two options. The other thing you could do for that too is uh, if you don't want to add the fats, you could add a carb powder, which I also like in the off season. Uh, you could do a cluster dextrin or a carbolin of some sort. Um, you can add those like 50 grams of carbs during your workout. That way you're getting carbs in while you're training. That will also keep your blood sugar high while you're training. It's a good idea that way. Yo's. Yosef Sue says, did you ever get a chance to or wish you got a chance to work with Rich Piana? I'm going to tell you guys a true story that I'm actually uh, embarrassed by or not proud of. So when Rich Piana was coming up or extremely popular, I had this idea of who he was, even though I didn't know who he was and didn't actually watch his videos. I had this idea that he was ruining bodybuilding. I'm like, this guy, all he does is talk about drugs and he's just got all these tattoos and he's like, he's ruining the sport. He's ruining the image. He doesn't even compete. He's telling people not to go to expos and stuff. Before he passed, I started watching a lot of his videos and I was like, wow, you know what? I had a wrong idea about this guy. He's actually like a really good proponent of bodybuilding. Now, I don't agree with everything he said. I I, Like I don't agree with not going to expos or not competing because it costs money or any of that stuff. I think if you want to compete, it costs money. So what? If you like competing and you want to compete, then do it. If you're doing it because you want to get rich and it's going to be your job for the rest of your life, that's probably the wrong reason. I, I don't think anybody should compete unless they love to, but that's another topic. The point is I don't agree with everything he said, but I did see that he loved bodybuilding. He loved working out. He loved eating. He told everybody to eat and train hard and eat a lot of food. And he was a very, very good, honest, uh, ambassador of bodybuilding. I just felt like in a couple areas, he maybe took it a little too far. Um, maybe because of his own experiences, I don't know, but overall my opinion changed of him. And, um, yeah, looking back on it, I do regret the way I acted and the way I felt because I bumped into him in Germany, I think we were, and he said, hi. And I said, hi, you know, I think we had a mutual respect for each other. He knew who I was. Obviously I knew who he was. He's a celebrity. Um, and we were training in the same gym and I could have easily probably got into a training session with him and his buddies and I didn't. And it's not that I thought I was better than him or anything. I just, one, I didn't want to bother him, but two, I, I didn't know who he was yet. And, um, that's, that's on me for, for judging a book by its cover. And uh, looking back on it, I wish I would have taken the time to uh, watch his videos and understand what he was trying to do at the time. So that's my Rich Piano story. B Real Swan says, What is your dream car? Please say something with a manual gearbox. I will not. And I'm not saying that because you're wrong. Manual gearboxes are the most fun. But a Ferrari, Ferrari La Ferrari, is probably my dream car at this moment. Um, and it does not have a manual gearbox. But if you've ever driven a supercar, you'll you'll know that driving a paddle shift with the engine behind you in your ear, with the turbos spooling up, is an exhilarating fucking thing. And you don't need a manual. You can't shift fast enough. You can't, I had a paddle. I drove a paddle shift. Well, they're all paddle shifts, but I drove a McLaren with the paddle shift, put it in sport mode. So it was only manual with the paddles. I almost couldn't tap the paddles fast enough from zero to 60 because it just, it was like driving, it was like driving a sport bike. It just rev one, two, three, fourth gear, fifth gear. It's just gone. And uh, I always thought I'll never buy anything without a manual. But after driving that car, I realized you can have a lot of fun in those cars. Just the experience of the speed and the sound of the engine in your ear and all this other shit. So, yeah, the Ferrari LaFerrari is probably my favorite uh, car at the moment. Brian Blockio says, any tips when doing shows back to back? Um, depends. Let's say they're a week or two apart. Yeah. You're going to deplete carb load and do the first show for the second show. I think you just personally, from my experience, I just go back to a base diet that's in between the the carb load and the depletion and then just do cardio through the next week and let your body kind of. Okay. So let's say you did the show Saturday. You might go out Saturday night and and celebrate because you won. You're going to have a cheat meal or you're going to go out and be depressed and cry, but you're still going to have a cheat meal because it feels good. And then after that, you're going to wake up Sunday and just get back on the cardio. Get Back on the cardio, get back on a moderate diet and ride that out through the next week until you get on stage again. The second week is easier than the first because you're already peeled, you're already there, All you did was gain a little bit of water from a cheat meal. Once that water comes off, you're ready to step back on stage because you're already loaded from carb carb loading the week before. So the second week is always easier than the first, believe it or not, because you're not having to deplete and carb load and all this other shit. You can just kind of ride out your carb load that you had and then just get on stage again. Batman and Harley 0617 says, how does your protein consumption change from off-season to prep? Actually, it doesn't. My off season and contest prep protein consumption is always six to eight ounces. So if I'm eating a very high carb diet, which, yeah, okay, let's say this it does change, it changes by that two ounces. Usually in the off season, I'm eating a very high carb diet. I don't feel like I need as much protein, so I'll cut the portions to six ounces cooked. When I get ready for a show, obviously we're going to start to drop those carbs and drop the fats and clean everything up. My protein consumption might go up to eight ounces. Um, It didn't last show. That's why I said no originally because last show my protein stayed consistent at six ounces cooked all the way through my year. But in years previous, I would go lower in the off season because I have a lot of extra calories and then higher during my diet and probably eight ounces cooked uh, because I
0: don't have that extra The extra carbs are fats. Noah health 66 says when doing high volume 20 plus
1: rep sets, if I'm failing at the prescribed rep range for a few sets, but failing much sooner on the later sets, should I be lowering the weight for the later sets or continue failing at the lower rep range? Um, I'm not sure why you're doing 20 rep sets unless it's like for quads. In which case I would say, you may not be eating enough because it's sound or, okay, let's say it could be a few things. If you're not eating enough, your muscle is depleting too fast. You're getting out the power you need for the first set or two. And then your t- muscles getting tired and you're not, you don't have the same endurance for set three and four. The other thing could be, you're not resting enough. If you're trying to go too fast and you're on like a 30 second rest or a 45 second rest, your muscle has not regenerated for lack of a better word. Has not come back to normal for you to start the next set. So you're not going to get the same amount of power. You're not going to the same amount of performance. Now, if you're doing, I'm not sure where where else you would be doing 20 rep sets. Um, I don't advise it really for building a lot of muscle unless it's for, like I said, unless it's for legs. Um, Otherwise, it would be a pyramid thing anyway, where you'd start with 20 reps and then go to 15 and 12 and 10 and eight, Um, in which case you would increase the weight with each set as you drop the reps, you would increase the weight. Um, but like I said, if you're doing 20 rep sets for legs and you're doing like five sets on the leg press and you're doing 20 reps for each set, you should be able to knock out 20 for all five sets. If you can't, you may not be eating enough food. Maybe maybe not getting enough carbs. I mean, um, or you are not taking a long enough rest in between sets in my opinion. Zachary5 says, What supplements do you use and which ones are a waste of money? Well, me and Luke already touched on the glutamine factor being a waste of money. Um, I don't know what's a waste of money. Everybody has different needs. I will tell you what my needs are. I need a good pre workout. Uh, and I'm not talking a STEM pre workout, okay? Right now I use pre caged by cage muscle, it's not a STEM. Pre-workout, it's a pump pre-workout. So, what that means is this: you can get a lot of pre-workouts that are stim-based, which means they have lots of caffeine, or maybe they're nootropic-based. So, there's lots of caffeine, or there's lots of like mental focus ingredients, uh, like alpha GPC, which is not a bad ingredient. But if that's all they're using is a lot of nootropics and a lot of stim, all they're trying to do is get you revved up mentally. Okay, now that's not a bad thing. I like being revved up mentally, right? But you want to have the pump aspect too, okay? So what you want to do is you want to make sure you have a pre-workout that has heavy pump in it. So lots of citrulline, and I, I'm an advocate of L-citrulline, not, not citrulline malate. So you want to have a lot of citrulline. You want to have some creatine. You want to have a pump ingredient like a glycerol of some sort, Um. There's a lot, of, a lot of different ingredients that you could add to help increase pump. But what I'm trying to tell you is this. I like a good pre-workout, but I don't like it to be heavy, heavy stim because I don't want to be cracked out in the gym, okay? I look for a pump pre-workout, one that's going to help send nutrients to the muscle and increase my volume. Um, an intra workout is always a good idea because an intro, like right now I use in-caged, by Cage muscle, an intra workout is always a great idea because it can help you keep your stamina through your workout. So let's say you're training quads and hamstrings. Okay, that's probably a long day for a lot of people, hour and a half sometimes for me. That's where an intra workout comes into play because it keeps me kind of going through my workout where I don't, I'm not going to hit a wall at an hour and then the last half hour of my workout's going to be shit. I have the intra workout nutrients flowing through me to keep me going strong all the way through to the end. Um. I think an essential amino acid is a really good idea because uh, an essential amino acid wards off any catabolism. So right now we use Amino Synergy by cage Muscle. It is uh, an essential amino that I take during my cardio in the morning or I might add to my pre-workout or things like that because it's going to help me keep from being catabolic because I'm being fed those essential aminos. Um, The only other one... Now, look, there's, a, there's an array of vitamins and minerals that I think are important, like curcumin, vitamin K, vitamin D, milk, thistle, calcium. Um, there, there's a whole host I could go through, but th- that's one. But going back to the like the bodybuilding supplements, the only other one I really am an advocate of is protein powder. So Cage Muscle has a pro- po- protein powder called Micro-Pure, Um, and it's a very pure isolate, and you can tell because if you drink a pure isolate, you could tell it, 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 first of all, it shakes up and it's clear. It's not all foamy and thick and shit. And second of all, if you drink it and you start getting a lot of gas or bloating or anything like that, it's probably not probably a lot of crap in there. Okay. Not all the time, but most of the time. So when you get micro pure, you see, it's like when you shake it up, it's got a watery texture to it that I like, um, when I drink it, I don't get stomach discomfort or anything like that. I can tell it's absorbing properly, right? So those four products, and then the fifth one would probably be a carb powder. Okay, carb powders are, I think, essential in the off-season. It's hard to get a lot of nutrients in sometimes. And um, whether it be like real food by like Rich Piana, that, that real food product is, is interesting to me because that's a carb powder I could use when I'm not going to the gym or whether it be like a a Cluster Dextrin or a Carbolin-type product that I would use around my gym time, whether it be pre-workout, intra-workout, post-workout. I really like the idea of a good carb powder, and I like both of those, to be honest with you, because I like the idea of having extra calories that aren't going to digest super, super fast, but they're more food-based, like the real food product that Rich Piana makes. I'm interested in that. I've never used it, but I have a lot of interest in it. Um, those are that's it for supplements. And there's other things that could be useful. You know, if you have trouble sleeping, there's a lot of good sleep aids out there. Um, there's 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 extras after that, but those four or five products to me are almost. I don't want I don't want to use the word essential because you can probably do well without them. But like I said, bodybuilding is a puzzle, and you want to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. So I'm going to say essential. Uh, if we're talking the perfect ideal situation, okay? Those are four or five, carb powder being the fifth, uh, four or five of my favorite essential bodybuilding supplements. JK JKVet94 says, thoughts on full body training, controlling for volume. Um, I already kind of covered this in the beginning of this uh, Q&A. I'm not an advocate of full body training. I don't think unless you're starting out, you're brand new. It's your first day at the gym. I'm not an advocate of full body training. I don't think you can get enough out of, I don't, I just, like I said, unless you're a beginner beginner, I don't think it's for me. Gymnastics lover 10 says, what's your advice or protocol for working around hurt or injured muscles? I mean, before it gets too serious and needs medical attention. Um, If you have have an injury that's bothering you repeatedly, you need to get it checked. You need to go to a physiotherapist. You need to go to a doctor and get an ultrasound. Working around an injury is not hardcore. Okay, when I say I work around an injury, I've already diagnosed it. I've gone to see a physiotherapist. I've gone to see a massage therapist. I've gone for an ultrasound. I've gone somewhere. And I've figured out what my problem is. Now I can work around it. Like I tore my tricep. Doctors like, don't use your tricep. Okay, I'm going to train with one arm for the next six weeks until I can use the left arm. Once I can use the left arm, I'm only going to do things that don't involve the tricep. That's working around an injury. But you have to diagnose the injury before you work around it. You can't just pretend everything is fine and then just keep going to the gym and not know what's going on and have it get worse. Okay. Um, Now, if you have like a nagging pain here and there, you know, whatever caused the pain or whatever is causing the pain, stay away from that exercise. You can do that for a couple of weeks, but if after two or three weeks you're still having that pain and it's not getting any better, go to go get it diagnosed and figure out what it is. But if you if it's just a intermediate thing and you're not, you know, it's just a little bit painful. Let's say, okay, well, my knee's bothering me a little bit. Okay, what doesn't hurt my knee? Okay, I can't squat. If I squat, that hurts my knee. Uh, but I can leg press. Okay. I'll leg press. Okay. I can't hack squat, but I can reverse hack squat. Okay. I'll reverse hack squat. It's almost like a trial and error thing. You have to, this is why it's important to have a lot of tools in your arsenal when it comes to training exercises. Like some people say, Oh, you don't need shit. You just need to do like squat bench and deadlift and whatever. Okay. What if you can't bench cause something hurts? How are you going to grow your chest? Okay. Well I'll incline bench. Okay. That's another exercise. So you have to have a full array of exercises and sometimes you just have to be creative. Like i sat down on the lateral, uh, it's in one of my posts on Instagram. I sat down on the lateral uh, shoulder machine, turned my body sideways and did front raises with it because I couldn't use this arm, but I could lift it. So it was okay to lift it, but it wasn't okay to grab onto things with it. So the point I'm trying to make is, Don't do things that hurt. Well, first, diagnose the problem if it's serious. If it's not serious, avoid any exercises that affect it. Um, Thirdly, try and learn to have a large array of exercises that you can choose from so that when you do have an injury that's not too serious, you can do those other exercises that don't bother it. Uh, And lastly, try and get creative because sometimes all the exercises you've been taught might still not work but you still might want to get in there and do uh and i like for example i saw antoine i forget what he was doing i think oh he was trying to do shrugs but he couldn't do shrugs because he tore his bicep so he got under the calf raise machine standing calf raises and just lifted his shoulders and that was his way of doing shrugs it's genius right it's it's absolutely brilliant So this is kind of one of the things I'm talking about, but just stay away from things that hurt that area. Don't just keep doing them in hopes that it will go away. Tommy Boy 5, or no, The Tommy Boy says, is 500 milligrams of testy a reasonable first cycle? Uh, Without giving cycle advice, yeah. I mean, that's a good starting point, and you definitely – if you've never done any anabolics before, 500 milligrams should affect you pretty greatly. Skylar Greeson says, recommendations for when training to failure without a training partner. You can easily train to failure without a training partner. You don't need, just don't do freeway movements. Like if you, if let's say, let's say you want to bench press and you don't have a partner and you want to go to failure, use a Smith machine. Let's say you can bench four plates but you're like, well, I don't want to bench four plates without my partner here. I can usually do four plates eight times, but my partner's not here, so I'm not going to do it. Nonsense. Just get on the Smith machine and do four plates 10 times. You're still going to go to failure and you're still going to crush your chest. So there, I trained by myself for like four years when I lived in Toronto. I went to failure every day, right? There's no reason why you can't train to failure. You Don't need a partner to train to failure. Matt Sprigg says, I've always only pushed up weight 15 to 20 pounds max in the off season, wanting to avoid getting fat before mini cutting or cutting down. However, I found overall I made minimal gains the last few years. Do you think there's any merit to really pushing your weight up? Okay, long question, but he basically is asking, I don't put on a lot of weight in the off season. Do you think if I put on more, I'll gain more muscle? 15 to 20 pounds over your stage weight is not a lot because... Let's say you're 200 pounds on stage, right? And now you're 220. Well, five or 10 pounds of that is water. So you only put on 10 pounds of fat. You you can't look that bad right now. I don't think it matters how much fat you put on. It's what your surplus is every day. So let's say your body needs 3,500 calories a day to, or 3,000 calories a day to survive. And then you add another 500 calories for output. So it's 3,500 calories. If all you're eating is 3,600 calories, there's going to be days where you might need more than that extra 100 calories. So I always have a bigger cushion, right? If my daily needs are 3,500, I might go up to 4,000. And if I still look good at 4,000, I might go up to 4,500. If I still look good at 4,500, I might go up to 5,000. If I start looking really shitty at 5,000, I'll pull back to 4,500. But I don't see anything wrong with... I mean, look, like I said, 15 to 20 pounds over stage weight is not a lot of weight. I don't see anything wrong with gaining more than that. Look, I weigh 290 pounds. I go on stage at 250. That's 40 pounds. No, Antoine goes on stage at 260. He was up at 300 pounds. Sergio Oliva was up at 305. He goes on stage at like uh, 260 or something like that. There's nothing wrong with putting on a
0: little bit of weight and getting bigger and feeding the muscle, Okay. Dakota
1: Ayacho says, do you change up foods between off-season and pre-contest or just the portions of the same food types? Um, No, I change up foods. So like my proteins when I'm dieting, I'll probably use really lean steak like a flank or something like that uh, or an inside round or outside round, something along those lines. In the off-season, I'll probably use just ground beef. Um, I don't use any... And I also add a lot of foods. Like I'll use cheeses in the off season or sometimes I add shrimp. I mean, you could have shrimp when you're dieting, but I usually don't for some reason. So like I have a lot of shrimp in the off, in the off season versus when I'm dieting. Um, yeah, there are, there, I have tuna. I have a lot of, you could, like I said, you could use tuna tuna when you're dieting too. But for some reason I do tuna in the off season. And then when I'm dieting, I'll do whitefish like a halibut or a cod or something like that. So my food choices do change um, and it, there's a lot more cheat meals in the off season. I'm, I'm doing like sometimes three or four cheat meals a week and they're not crazy heavy cheat meals. Like, you know, I'm not binging sometimes, but most of the time they're just, you know, a couple burgers or something like that and some fries. Um, but it's like I said, three or four times a week I'm having that. So yeah, there's some significant differences between my contest diet and my off season. Another one would be bread. I don't really eat any bread when I'm dieting in the off season. I'll have a lot of Ezekiel bread, sometimes regular bread, uh, pasta. I don't really eat any pasta when I'm dieting. I have a lot more pasta in the off season. So there are significant changes. Max Merrick says, how was your tricep recovery going? What are some things now not to take for granted after going through some really shitty part of recovery process? Um, triceps doing good. I found out, I actually just met with my surgeon today. He kind of felt around and got me to do some exercises. He said, everything feels great. Everything's working great. Uh, he said to me, actually, I can start to push things a little bit now. So I'm going to start to kind of get through the one uh, negative thing he said to me was the amount of time it took to lose the muscle in my arms. It will take two to three times to put it back on, which means it took me three months to lose this muscle in my arm and I haven't been using it. He said, it'll probably take six to nine months to get it all back. So either I got to prove him wrong or <laughs> that's going to fucking suck. Cause I don't want to wait six months to see my arms back to where they were. So I have a lot of work ahead of me. Um, one of the things I don't take for granted is just being able to compete. When this happened, I was getting ready for the Toronto pro and I was starting to feel good about myself. I was starting to feel like I I was bringing things back to where they were. And, uh, it's amazing. The things you take for granted, man, um, you don't know what you have until you lose it. And without going to a long shitty rant, if I get a chance to compete again, if I can stay healthy again through my next prep, uh, I will be in heaven because I would love to get on stage again and, see what my body looks like one more time or one more year. You know, I'd like to get one or two more years of good competing. Cause it's been a couple years since I've been on stage. So I'd like to get those two years back before retiring. McClacklin Sean says, how do I find the right coach for me? Are there any red flags or warning signs? Okay. Warning signs. Anybody who's trying to push a lot of drugs. That's the biggest warning sign. Okay. Not, not only because they're selling you something and they're like trying to make a bunch of money off you, but more so because it means they don't know what the fuck they're doing. And they just give, and this is the, their claim to success is just that they've given all their clients a ton of drugs and that's why they look good. So your first red sign is somebody who gives you a huge stack of drugs. Okay. That's a glaring red sign. Okay. Red flag. Other one is they don't have any experience they've done nothing. They've done no shows. They've just don't, they haven't been training that long. They just kind of know, they think they know what they're talking about. To me, that's a red flag. Some people don't care, but to me, that's a red flag. Every great coach I know has had some competitive history. Doesn't mean they turn pro doesn't mean, but they know what it feels like. And to me, I need to know that my coach knows what I'm going through. So to me, it's a red flag. If I meet somebody, like I've never competed before. Never done a show before. I don't train really that hard. I've never dieted for the beach. Like I don't, that kind of scares me, right? I need to know that the guy I'm, I'm working with knows what it feels like. Now, if he has no experience in the actual field, he better have a lot of clients to back up his claims, okay? So if I meet a guy who's got zero experience in bodybuilding and zero clients, but he sounds right, not going to happen. If I meet a guy who's got zero experience in bodybuilding, but has 400 clients and 10 of them look or whatever, 50% of them look awesome. Okay. I'll hear that. I'll hear that guy out. The perfect combination for me is a guy who has tons of bodybuilding experience, not necessarily winning or pro or anything like that, but tons of bodybuilding experience, has a bunch of clients that look great and understands what's going on. Now, those are some things that I need, and some red flags. The biggest f- thing for me in finding a coach is, do I look up to the person and can I listen to them? Let's say they meet all the other criteria. If I can't listen to the person, if I don't look up to them in a way, when they tell me to eat this food they're going to tell me to eat, I might think I know better. Well, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's going to work for me. I'm going to do my own thing or whatever everybody I've worked with, even like part-time, I worked with some guys here and there and this and that. I've I've worked with a lot of different coaches. I've respected all of them. Okay. The reason I picked John, John lines up with who I am as a person more so than anybody else I've worked with. Okay. He understands my mental issues and I say them as issues because I have anxiety. I get really worked up when I'm dieting. I get really worked up when I'm getting ready for a show. John has a very calming effect on me. He knows how to explain things to me that will just chill me the fuck out. That's important to me. So you have to have a coach. You have to find someone that you look up to, that, will, that, will, that is able to talk to you in a way, that is able to keep you grounded, that is able to tell you to do what you need to do to get to the next step. Now, if you're hiring an online coach and you don't have a a crazy connection or somebody that doesn't call you on the phone, stuff like that, like I don't, my my clients don't, we don't really talk on the phone. It's mostly through email. We may talk on the phone the last week before show. Um, If you have that kind of coach, then you have to be self-motivated. That coach is going to give you instruction. I I went through, I worked with Chad Nichols. Okay. Chad Nichols was not a coddling type coach, he would say, here's your diet. I'll talk to you in four days or three days or a week or whatever. And then you would fuck off and go do his diet and do his cardio and do whatever he told you to do. And then you, Oh, oh, that sucked. You would go do whatever he told you to do. And then you would come back and show him your results. And then he would say, okay, change this, change that. And then come back and see me. So it's up to you to find out what kind of coach you need. If you just need an X's and O's coach, then you can go with someone like Chad. If you need someone you can talk to on the phone, that's going to help you keep stay sane mentally. You got to find that coach. All I'm telling you is find somebody who has some experience, who has a good name, who comes in with a a reputable client base. These are all things you want to look for. Okay. And don't for the God's sake, do not, go with a coach who's just going to push a ton of drugs on you it's not the, it's not the right person okay noah kagan says what's your experience with taking a couple weeks off of lifting uh muscle atrophy and how long it takes to gain Uh you're not gonna okay you're not gonna get muscle atrophy in two weeks especially if you're still eating your diet the most i've taken off i think is a week 10 days max um the muscle will flatten out that's not atrophy That's just like lack of glycogen from not training and not filling the muscle up, but it's not atrophy. Atrophy is actually losing tissue. So you don't have to worry about muscle atrophy. Just make sure you're eating your diet and take a break if you want to take a break. I usually take one break off every year when I was competing. I still am competing, hopefully, but when I was actively competing, I would, after every show, I would hit a rebound. And then after the rebound, I would usually take a week or two off and just do nothing. Sometimes I wouldn't even hit the rebound. Sometimes if I dieted really hard for one or two shows in a row, I would just take a week or two off right after the show. Usually a week is all I can handle Then I'm back at it, but you're not going to lose muscle. You're going to lose glycogen. The, the muscle is going to look like it atrophied because it's
0: not being trained and filled up with blood, but that'll come back like real fast. M Wellness says Fuad and Luke. Well, it's not Luke. It's just me. So,
1: What is some advice you would give to the significant other of someone in competition prep? What is the best way y'all wished your significant others helped with, if anything? Um, Cooking, laundry, coming with me to the gym. All those things are very, very helpful. Helpful. Once in a while, my wife doesn't do very much cooking for me, but that's kind of my own fault. I kind of like to make my own food. But once in a while, when she knows I'm really exhausted, she'll go to the kitchen and she'll make me like some chicken breast and rice or whatever, whatever is on, because my diet is usually on the fridge. Whatever's on my diet, she'll make for me and she knows I'm wiped out. That's a really, really nice thing, especially because she doesn't cook all my meals. So just seeing her go to the kitchen once in a while and make a meal for me is, very, I'm very thankful, right? Laundry. When I'm getting ready for a show, I go through a ton of laundry because I'm doing cardio in the morning. That's one outfit in the laundry. Then I'm going back to train. That's another outfit in the laundry. Then I might be going back for a second session of cardio. That's another outfit in the laundry. So I'm going through like piles and piles of laundry every three or four days. It really helps when she does my laundry for me. Uh, that's a big, a big help to always know that I have clean clothes in my laundry and I don't have to worry about doing it. And then going to the gym. Sometimes when you're going back to the gym for that late session of cardio and you're just dead and you're like, holy fuck, I really don't want to go. It's really nice when your wife's like, come on, I'll go with you. Like she's she she got her own job. She's got her own shit to do. So I don't know if you go to the gym with your significant other already, but mine doesn't usually because so, she's got her own job and her own life. But once in a while when she sees me really wiped out, she's like, yeah, I'll go with you to the gym. Let's go. And we'll go to the gym and she'll walk on the treadmill and I'll go on the step mill. And it's just nice knowing that that person's there with you. So it's just like, it's really, really small stuff. It doesn't have to be like all oh, the people think it's like all this stuff. Like you have to do this stuff every day. Sometimes just like, she'll get my shakes ready for me. You know, like before I go to the gym, she'll be like, Oh, what you, what's in your shake? And I'll be like, well, I'm having this pre-workout and this essential amino and this, and she'll put it all together for me. And then I know that's ready for me already. While I'm getting my gym clothes on, that's already ready. I can just throw up my bag and go. It's just really, really small stuff. Um, or even like I have that massage gun, like a TheraGun, or mine actually, mine's a Tim Tam. But I have that massage gun. Sometimes it's really nice. Like if I have my hamstrings are bothering me, I can lay down on my stomach. She'll take the. She'll be like, "Let me, let me work out your hamstrings for you," and she'll just, you know, massage my hamstrings with a gun. And it kind of loosens things up. Now that's, it's just a small thing. It's only 10 minutes, but it's just a nice touch. So just when you think of things, don't think on such a grand scale, like, oh, I got to cook all his meals or it doesn't mean anything, or I got to do all his laundry or it doesn't mean I got to go to the gym with him every fucking day. Sometimes if you're not already doing those things, just doing it once in a while is like a nice touch, right? And then also know this, if he's being really shitty to you, don't fight with him. Now, I'm not saying let him take advantage of you or let him be an asshole by any means. But when we diet, we get really moody and all that if you don't already know this. And one thing that can make a diet really hard is when your girl is fighting with you constantly. So one of the problems me, me and my wife had before all, before, you know, when we first started dating was she didn't understand that me dieting was a hard thing and it, was, it made me moody and... Shitty, and she took all of those mood swings personally, and it made our relationship really hard. It made dieting for shows really hard. And it wasn't until after we got past that that she realized it's not personal, he's just fucking moody when he's hungry. And after she realized that, now when I would get moody, she would just leave the room. She'd be like, I'm gonna go read a book, or I'm gonna go take a bath, or I'm gonna go whatever. Take the dog for a walk, and she would just let me calm down on my own and not fight with me. And sometimes during a prep, when your husband is acting like a jerk, even though he deserves a slap, sometimes it's nice to just kind of walk away and let him be a jerk. He'll know he if he's a nice person. He'll know when all is said and done, the show is said and done, everything's done, and he's you know got his trophy. He will know he put you through shit, and he will be very thankful that you did not uh, hold him to it. And you kind of like let him get away with, give him a little bit of slack to be an asshole, right? Now, like I said, it's a little bit of slack. I'm not saying let him like run buckshot over you, but just, you know, it's nice to have a little bit of slack sometimes when you're not 100% in in your own head, you know? Y Brazo says, what what would you suggest for how many meals before training legs? Uh, It doesn't matter. I've trained legs before before two meals. I've trained legs, sorry, after two meals. I've trained legs after five meals. It doesn't matter. What matters to me when training legs is I take a longer break. So if normally uh, I eat and I go to the gym an hour later to train, when I train legs, sometimes I'll take an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. I don't care. I'd rather have an empty stomach than try and force myself to go to the gym after an hour and then puke all my food up, or not even puke, but even worse, have like a stomach bloat through the entire leg day. That's a horrible feeling. So I always eat lighter for my pre workout meal on leg days. I usually like to go after two meals. So I'll have like my breakfast and I'll have a lighter meal, like an easy digestible meal. And then I usually, like I said, I give myself an hour and a half, sometimes two hours before legs, and then I go in there and I crush it. Brian Good says, when you begin dieting for a contest, do you choose specific, a specific show or do you begin dieting and get to a good spot, then make a decision? Uh, I tried the second way where you try and just diet.
0: <clears throat> I got to stop doing that. I tried the second way where you
1: try and get in good shape and then once you're in good shape, you're like, okay, I'm going to do that show doesn't work for me uh the only thing that works for me is putting pressure on myself so I have to pick a day on the calendar and go that's the show and then from that point I focus everything I have into that show and that's when I end up in the best shape of my life the shows where I've been like I'm just gonna get in shape and I'll pick the closest one they either didn't come to fruition because I decided not to do them or I actually forced myself to do them and I didn't look as good as I wanted to I think personally, for someone like me, with my personality anyway, the best situation you could possibly be in is to pick the show, pick the date, get all your ducks in a row, and and focus all your energy on that one day.
0: Okay, what do we got here? Jeez, lots, lots more. Lots and lots more. Let's go from the other side. Pawan
1: PB says, if there was no bodybuilding, what what should you do? Or what would I do? I'm sure it's a language thing. Uh, What would I do? Um, If there was no bodybuilding, I probably would have been in sales, car sales, home sales, uh, something along those lines. Or I might have been a police officer. I went to school to be a police officer. That's probably what I would have done. But there's bodybuilding, so there's no need to do anything else. This is what I decided I want to do. This is what I'm happy with. I think police work was intriguing to me, but I also like sales because sales has the same effect as bodybuilding in a sense that the harder you work, the more time you put in, the more you get back from it. Right? Cause your sales, let's say you're a car salesman or a, a real estate salesman. The more time you put into your craft, the more contacts you make, the more houses you show, the more you're going to sell. And that's a lot like bodybuilding. So there's a very nice trajectory The very nice synergy between how hard you work, how many hours you put in and what your reward is. Whereas being a police officer isn't necessarily like that. It's more of a seniority thing where like you could work your ass off, but you can only grow so fast. You know, and that's the one thing I don't like. I like being able to put my effort into something and then see the effort come back to me. Dover 9813 says, is it, is it always calories in, calories out, or is there quality of calorie? Lane Norton says, you can diet off Pop-Tarts. Okay, this, is a, this has been beaten to death, but I'm just going to give my opinion, and I don't care if it's wrong. It's just the way I, what I believe. You can diet on a Pop-Tart, okay? If my only objective right now at 285 pounds is just to lose fat, I don't care how I look. I don't care what my muscle looks like. I don't care about anything. I just want to lose fat. Fine. My, cal- my caloric intake for the day is 3,500 calories. I'm going to diet off Pop-Tarts, and I'm only going to eat 33 or 3,000 calories worth of Pop-Tarts. Okay. That means I'm going to be in a 500-calorie deficit every day. So I will lose fat every day. Okay. But if I'm only eating pop tarts and I'm not eating protein and I'm training, I'm probably going to lose muscle. So if I'm losing muscle, that means as I lose muscle, my caloric intake for the day is going to go down as well because your caloric intake is based on how much muscle you have. A lot of it is anyway. So as my caloric deficit drops, I'm going to have to eat less pop tarts to keep losing fat. Okay. Do you understand what I mean? So now I'm training, but I'm not eating any protein. I'm not rebuilding muscle because all I'm eating is Pop-Tarts. So my caloric intake for the day used to be 3,500 calories, but now because I've lost five pounds of muscle, now it's 33. So now to keep that 500-calorie deficit, I got to eat 2,800 calories. Oh, two weeks have gone by. I lost more muscle. Now my caloric intake for the day is 3,000. Now I got to go to 2,500 calories. Do you see what I'm doing? Do you see what happens when you don't eat right? So that means the longer I diet, if I'm not eating the right foods, the more muscle I'm going to burn off my body. The more muscle I burn off my body, the less amount of calories I can take in every day. So eventually you're going to burn muscle off until you get to 2000 calories. You're going to be eating 1500 calories a day worth of pop tarts to keep that 500 calorie deficit. Now, the right way to do it is to eat a high-protein, low-carb, moderate-fat, or, high, or there's your own setup, but it's to eat a, a, a high-protein diet that will help you rebuild the muscle that you're breaking down in the gym. The reason we do that, it matters how much muscle you can keep. The more muscle I can keep, the more my caloric deficit for the day doesn't have to change. So, if I started my diet at thirty five hundred calories and I'm eating an awesome diet—chicken, rice, asparagus, whatever—all these really clean, high protein foods—and I'm rebuilding all the muscle that I'm training with, right? That means my caloric intake for the day is going to stay at thirty five hundred, and that also means that my caloric in, my deficit—I can keep eating three thousand calories a day worth of food, and my deficit will stay at five hundred. Do you understand what that means? So because I'm retaining all my muscle by eating the proper foods and training my ass off, my body can always stay at that level where it needs 3,500 calories to keep, maintain my size, and I can always stay at the 3,000-calorie threshold so I can keep that 500-calorie deficit. Now, if I want to have a Pop-Tart one day, I can do that. I can take out some of the other calories and have a pop tart and I'm not going to lose muscle and it'll be okay. If Lane's saying that, I agree with him. But if he's saying a calorie is a calorie and you can look the same and diet the same while eating in chicken and rice versus pop tarts and Oreos, sorry, I disagree. Okay. I disagree. And I challenge anybody. I will do the experiment with them. I challenge anybody to do that experiment with me over the course of Six months or, f- or three months because I think if you're only eating Pop-Tarts and Oreos, let's say you're not eating any protein, you're going to lose muscle on that diet and I'm not. And I'm going to look way better at the end of the three months having retained all my muscle than you would eating just garbage every day. So a calorie is not a calorie. It's only calories, a calorie only when you're talking about fat loss, not when you're talking about body composition. And even if you're talking about fat loss, a calorie is a calorie. But in the long haul, if you're losing muscle, you're going to end up looking worse because
0: you're going to burn off a bunch of muscle trying to burn off fat. It's a complex thing, but just my belief.
1: Uh, Travis Kraft says, do you ever take a week of full rest or just deload? I kind of already answered that after my shows every year, I take a week off after my rebound or before my rebound, just right after the show. Depends how I feel and how many shows I did that year. But if I did two or three shows in a row, I'll take a week off right after the last show. Just relax. If I only did one show, I usually can't help, but get back into the gym. In which case I, uh, take the week off after the rebound like after like six weeks i'll take a week off and rest thomas foley says is it better to change your compounds on off season or just come off to clean out your blood and receptors i've tried both and i will say that personally i think coming off is better than just changing compounds so if you do like uh some people do like a like a six week cycle that's hard and in a six week cycle that's not hard so they'll do like uh, i'm not going to give doses but let's just say they'll do like let's say they'll do a hard trend cycle right like a trend e and some other compounds and whatever and that's their hard cycle They do that for six to eight weeks and then they'll do like something that's not as toxic like uh like a, a test and primo or something like that right and it's a little bit simpler a little bit easier on the body and they'll run that for six weeks and they'll go back and forth back and forth But not without lowering doses, just kind of keep bouncing back and forth between toxic and non-toxic. I I don't really agree with that formula. I like go hard for 8, 10, 12 weeks, and then go off. Now, I have changed my views in the last few years that I do think, it depends how long you've been bodybuilding, but if you've been bodybuilding for a long time, you might need to stay on like 250 milligrams of test. Because if you've been bodybuilding for a long time, your test levels will just crash uh, after four weeks of being off. And it won't be enough time for you to clean your body out. But it also won't be like you're not going to recover and get your test levels back. So then you're just running with zero tests in your body or low tests in your body. And it doesn't feel good. If you just started bodybuilding and you're like within five or ten years of starting, you can probably, even five years, you can probably go off, off all the way and just take a PCT cycle of some sort of like HCG or something or Clomid. And you could be okay for six to eight weeks and then get your blood work done, see what it looks like, and then get back on. But uh, those things, it's not a cookie cutter thing. That's why people ask me like, well, why don't you give us like doses? And why don't you give us like, like cycle advice? And I was, it's not cookie cutter a lot of it depends on what your, what your cycles have been in the past. A lot of, a lot of it depends on how long you've been on or how long you've been using. Uh, A lot of it depends on like what you used and how much of it, like a lot of these things matter, man. So you can't just be like, this is
0: a cookie cutter way to do it. Just, you have to kind of feel out your own situation. Uh, Marcel Strasser says, is a heavy deadlift squat bad for a small waist?
1: I don't think so personally. I know a lot of people say it is, but I know Lee Haney used to squat. I know Arnold used to squat. I know like, listen, all the guys throughout history have been squatting and deadlifting and their waists were all fine. I believe the waist issue is a food issue. We have to eat such large amounts of food now that we're constantly stretching out our stomachs and it's not a drug issue because now you see guys that all of a sudden can do vacuums but it's because no emphasis was played on placed on the stomach so nobody was training their tva nobody was training their abs everybody was binging their fucking ass off just trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger now guys are focused on not binging guys are eating a little cleaner in the off season Guys are eating a little smaller meals, but more often, so the meals aren't as big and not stretching out the stomach as much. Guys are training their TVA more. Guys are training their abs more. So, and they now they have now you see a lot of open bodybuilders doing vacuums. Uh, not me yet because I can't do it for some fucking reason. But uh, a, a lot of bodybuilders are, and I no, I don't think uh, squat, deadlift, or bench or any of that, uh, makes you, means you're going to have a thick waist. Steve Buchili says, is it possible to tap into stored body fat for energy while training with weights? And if so, should you forego carbs pre-workout to help with that? Uh, I don't believe that's possible unless you, uh, are in ketosis. So if you're on a ketogenic diet and you've been on one for a while and you take measured your ketones, that means your body is burning fat stores for energy. In which case, when you train with weights, your body will burn fat stores for energy. Uh, Otherwise, uh, I don't think that's really what's going to happen. I mean, if you're not eating, your body's going to tap into fat stores, but it's also going to tap into muscle stores, in my opinion. So uh, I don't think it's a good situation to try to make happen unless, like I said, you're in a keto diet. Bar None Fit Shake says, what do, what to do about body hair if your girlfriend won't help you out on the back? It sucks. Make her. Tell her. Say, look, this is part of the fucking deal. If you're with me, you're going to shave my back or else we can't be together. <laughs> it's the way it is. I mean, look, if your girlfriend loves you, she will shave your back. That's all there is to it. And, and also, I don't advise shaving anyway. Get yourself a trimmer like the one we use for our beards and just put it use it with no guard and just have her... Okay, there's two reasons. One, your hair won't grow back as thick. I know some people think it's a myth, but it's not. It happened to me. I had to get a whole bunch of laser done to get that to go away. But secondly, shaving irritates the skin. It gets you, makes you itchy. Sometimes the shit grows back stubbly. You can get a lot of ingrown hairs and stuff. You don't want any of that, right? But if you use a shaver without the guard, it leaves like this much hair. But you can't see it. Like from far away, like when I take photos, people are like, oh, did you shave? I'm like, I'm not shaved. I trim. It's just a trim, but it makes the hair so short you can't even see it, but it also makes makes it so you're not going to get stubble. You're not going to get ingrown hairs. And lastly, for your girlfriend, it's way easier and way faster. There's no shaving cream application. It doesn't take this little uh, shaver, like an hour to shave your back. Tell your girl, I got a really good plan for you. It'll take you five minutes. And if you love me, this is part of us being together. Now, if you try everything and she won't do it, I used to actually get, uh, when I was single, I used to get a girl, uh, well, one, I used to go for waxes sometimes. Then I used to go for lasers. And then there was another time I used to go see a hairdresser that would cut my hair and then trim my back after. I know, it sounds fucked up, but I used to go to a salon. They would cut my hair, and then I would go. we would go into like the back bathroom area, and she would trim my back for me, and I would pay her extra money for that. So there's always a way around it. Um, but my best bet is if you're a a white guy with dark colored hair, invest in laser, man, because it was the best thing I ever did. I don't have to worry about it anymore. And when it does grow back, it grows back so fine. You can't really see it. So Vigerson says, how do you maintain balance and sanity while working at, at maximal capacity towards a goal? There's no such thing as balance and there's no such thing as sanity when you're getting ready for a show. And I know that sounds like cliche, like, oh, I'm so hardcore. But there is no balance, man. There's no balance. My wife completely leaves me alone. And she knows. I just came out with this t shirt for the Hostile Brandwear line that I, I have. It says on it, unapologetically obsessed. Okay. And that's because that's what bodybuilding is, especially in prep mode. You're fucking obsessed. You're obsessed with the show. You're obsessed with getting better. You're obsessed with winning. You're obsessed with doing every single thing you can do to be a better bodybuilder in that moment. More cardio, more weights, more, you know, cutting food out of your diet and making it harder for yourself whatever it is you're, you have to do, you're doing at the maximal level and you don't give a shit about balance or anything else in your life. I could give a flying, you know what? Because when I'm getting ready for a show, that's all I care about. I want to do my cardio. I want to come home, get my meals in. I want to go back and train my ass off. I want to make sure I have time to stretch and get therapy. And I want to make sure I get some sleep and I want to make sure I don't cheat on my diet. That's all I care about. I don't care about balance. I don't care about going to family dinners. I don't care
0: about going out for birthdays. I don't care about going to somebody's wedding. I don't give a shit. So, all I'm trying to say is those people who will fault me for that,
1: I am unapologetically obsessed. I don't give a shit what you think. I don't care if you think it's wrong. I don't care if you think. I should have balance because I'm missing out on life. This is the way I like it. And this is the way it has to be for me to be successful. Now, that's not speaking that way for everybody. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure there are some people that are able to go to different outings and go to different dinners and go out party with their friends and not drink and do whatever it is and become successful. I have not seen it in open bodybuilding. Maybe men's physique guys have a little bit more leeway. Maybe like bikini girls don't have to train as hard. I don't know if they do. Nobody take offense. But in open bodybuilding, I have yet to see the guy who's prepped for a show and been able to live his whole life normally while doing that. I mean, look, I'll give you the perfect example. You want to see somebody unapologetically obsessed? Look at Brandon Curry. The guy lives in Kuwait for like eight months out of the year. He's got four kids. I think four. He's got four kids. This guy has four kids he wants to be with. He's got a wife he loves. He's got businesses to run here. And he's like, I'm sorry, I got to go fucking train. And his wife is good enough and loving enough to be like, yeah, he does. Okay, go train. That's somebody who's obsessed. But, With that obsession comes the front-runner spot at the Olympia. Everybody's talking about Brandon Curry being the front-runner. Why? It's not because he's genetically gifted or he's lucky or they're handing him something that he doesn't deserve. He's living in a different country for eight months out of the year without his family, his friends, his wife. That's obsession. But he knows that's what it takes to be in the spot he's in. So
0: that's what I have to say about being obsessed and balance and all that other shit. J.M. Powell says, when dieting for a
1: show, especially the last month, where does your motivation come from when finishing the prep? I don't know. I don't know why I kept this question. Are you serious? The motivation. Where does my motivation come to finish the prep? I don't want to look like an asshole on stage. In four weeks' time, I'm about to get on a stage in front of 500, 5,000 people, whoever's watching, in my underwear. If you can't have the motivation to go to the gym when you know you're going to be in your underwear in four weeks in front of your friends, your family, a whole shitload of people, whatever, then it's the wrong sport for you. There shouldn't be motivation at that point. It should just be fear. You should be like, holy shit. I got to go on stage in four weeks. I got to get my fucking ass to the gym because I still look like shit. That's the motivation. That's the motivation. It's, it's finishing what you started and it's finishing without embarrassing yourself. Right. John 1471 says, do you really eat cheat meals from five guys because they have real meat and real potato? Or is it just really because they taste better than Mickey D's? Actually, John, I'm going to shock you. I like Mickey D's better than fat, fat than Five Guys, but I do eat Five Guys because it's real meat and real potatoes. That's why I started going there. But if I had my choice, I would take McDonald's or Burger King because I love that really shitty <laughs> fast food burger. Something better than a good Big Mac or a good Whopper, right? Five Guys is good when I want like a real meal, but when I want that crappy junk food taste. I want a Big Mac or a Whopper. Uh, TO Total says eating in a definite surplus, but the scale weight is not moving and lifts are barely moving up. Am I overtrained? Uh, I probably shouldn't have kept this question because there's way too many variables. It could be you're overtrained. It could be you're still not eating enough. It could be. Maybe your day job has you being too active, so you need more food. Um, it could be you're lifting the wrong way, so it's not conducive to gaining getting stronger. Like maybe you're doing too many reps, we need to focus more on strength if that's what you want, is to get stronger. Um, there are so many different variables to this question that I can't answer it properly. It doesn't sound like you're overtrained. It just sounds like you're either not eating enough Um Because look, just because you're in a surplus, it doesn't mean that you're automatically going to gain weight. And I'm not sure why. I can't explain that scientifically. But for example, my daily caloric intake is like 3,800 calories, I think. And I easily eat 45 to 5,000 every day. (coughs) Sorry. I easily am in a surplus every day. I've been at 285 for... Last two three months, so sometimes you have to push it a little further. Even if you think you're in a surplus, push it a little harder. See what happens. Take some day if you think you're overtraining, take some days off. You know, take work out five days a week. If you're working out five days a week, and you still think you're overtrained, work out four days a week for a couple of weeks. See what happens. Like you have to experiment a little bit. Um. Grayson Krieger says, as a young bodybuilder coming up, is it important to take affiliate programs with companies or wait it out until you're in a position to be paid? Um, okay, this is a, I really like this topic because a lot of this goes around. So, okay, if you have the money and you don't need free supplements and you don't need free clothing from, like, whatever these clothing companies are, then don't do it unless you just want to be part of something. If you just want to be part of something and you want to say you're sponsored, then yeah, go be an affiliate, go be an ambassador, whatever you want to call it. But if you don't need the supplements and you don't need the clothes, then who gives a shit? If you're, okay, I'm speaking in terms of somebody who, whose objective is to make this a career. If your objective in bodybuilding is to make a career out of it and make money, think of it this way. You want to be branded as few times as possible. That doesn't mean being branded once means your career is over. If you go, let's say you're an ambassador for First Form or something, right? Doesn't mean that nobody else is ever going to sign you. But if you're ambassador for First Form, then you're ambassador for Cage Muscle, then you're ambassador for Redcon, then you're ambassador for uh, Optimum or whatever company, right? Let's say you pick whatever company. Okay the person that wants to pay you now looks at your Instagram and he's like, holy shit, this guy's been branded by eight different companies. I I can't use this person anymore. Okay. That's number one. Number two, don't sell yourself short. If you don't need the supplements, don't let somebody use you to make money. Like the company is going to use you as an ambassador to make money. You're their advertisement. They're going to give you supplements in return. If you need the supplements, then it's a good trade-off. Hey, you know what? I need supplements. I don't want to pay for them every month. This works for me. I'm going to post a few times that I use the product. They're going to send me some stuff. It's a fair trade for everybody. But if you don't need the supplements then, and you can afford to go buy your own, then you're really just doing something for nothing. There's no, there's no point at that, at that point. There's no point because you already have your own money to buy supplements. When I was coming up, I needed I wanted to get the sponsorship because I thought it would lead me to making more money. So I'm not going to name any names, but I was with a certain company. When I got to the top of the amateur ranks, I said to that company, I would like to get paid. I've already won the nationals. I don't have my pro card, but I'm 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 gonna win the nationals this year and I'm gonna get my pro card. And I did win the nationals two or three times without getting I won twice without getting my pro card. So the company said, no, we don't want to pay you. I waited out my time. I did. I was with them for two or three years without getting paid. At the time, there's no such thing as ambassadorship. You kind of started that way. You started with a company, you kind of worked for free, and then you would graduate if you turn pro into a salary. When they said they didn't want to pay me, I decided to take a walk. I was like, well, I'm out of here. This isn't worth it for me anymore. I can afford to buy my own supplements. So I left. When I turned pro, I got signed by a bigger company that paid me immediately a salary. Now, the point of the story is this. If you think you're worth getting paid, don't sign with anybody and not get paid. If you know you're not worth getting paid, but you want the free supplements, go ahead and sign with somebody for supplements. If you know you're not worth getting paid, but you don't need the supplements, then don't sign with somebody for no reason unless you just want to say you're part of a team. kind of how I feel, three scenarios, right? If you think you're worth getting paid, you got to tell me why. Is it I got 50,000 followers and I think I deserve 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month? Or I got 500,000 followers and I deserve three, four, five grand a month? Or is it I got 100,000 subscribers on my YouTube? Or is it I won the nationals this year, I want to get paid? You can't just say I'm worth getting paid because I'm a nice guy. You got to have a reason. You got to have something to sell to somebody. You're selling yourself to the company. Even though they're using you for employment to make money for them, there's a million of you. So you have to sell them on why you're the one they gonna want to they want to pay. You either have to have a good following, you have to have like some type of social media following, like Instagram, YouTube, something like that. You have to be placing really well or they might have to look at you and go Yeah. You know what? You got tons and tons of potential. The last one's tricky. Most companies will not pay you based on potential. This isn't basketball. You know, in the NBA, they'll take a kid in high school and be like, that kid's going to be a superstar. We're going to pay him millions of dollars before he ever plays one game. That doesn't happen in bodybuilding. In bodybuilding, you got to be most of the time. It happens very, very rarely. Most of the time, you have to prove yourself and let them and sell them, show them what they're buying. So it's kind of how I look at it. It's, it's, it's a complex issue, but just don't sell yourself short, number one, but also don't be delusional. If you have a thousand followers and you have no YouTube channel and you have never placed in a show and you're still just getting ready, but you think you look really good, you're not going to get paid. That's not how it works.
0: You have to have done something or have something to show them before they're going to give you any money. Um, if you're in the off season and you had a, for example, a beach date in a couple
1: years, what could you change on your diet training or, or in order to maximize your current look? Nothing. Okay. This is, this is something I dealt with my entire career, not because I had beach dates. Well, I I went away on one vacation as a fat guy, but look, it depends who you are. Okay. If you're just bodybuilding for fun, then yeah, you're going to go on a keto diet and crash diet and do tons of cardio and trying to burn off as much fat as you can over the course of the week. So you can go to your beach date and not look like a whale. But if you're a serious bodybuilder who wants to turn pro or is a pro and is getting ready for a show or
0: anything like that, you are not going to give a fuck about a beach date to ruin your off season.
1: Every day, every day counts, okay? I know you don't think so. I know in the middle of August or the beginning of August, you know your show is until next July and you're like, well, I don't care. I got a whole year. Every day counts. Every day, okay? The guys who do the best in this sport are the guys who have the least amount of bad days, okay? Not the guys, you know, obviously this is genetics and all that. It's not the guys who know the most or figured everything out perfectly or have the best coach. Or no, it's the guys who know enough, but they've had the least amount of bad days in the year. They are going to end up at the show looking better than you. And if you take a week and crash diet, the guy that beats you next year is going to be the guy that did not take that week. And he was banging out every day, doing what he's supposed to do all the way until showtime. And he's going to be one week better than you. Okay. Now it's not the way it works all the time because genetics play a part and there's a lot of different factors, but I don't fuck around like that. Okay, if I if I'm in the off season and my focus is getting big and putting on enough muscle for next year, I'm not ruining it for a beach date. I'm going to show up to that beach date and I'm going to tell that girl, "Look, this is now I look all the time. I'm a little chubby right now. I'm guaranteed for a show next year. I look fucking awesome when I'm dieted down, <laughs> but you're going to have to wait because right now I'm bulking up and this is what I look like when I'm bulking up." So, if you don't like me now, then you don't get to like me later when I fucking look good, right? So that's what I would do. Now, more realistically, what happened to me all the time was I would have expos to go to. A lot of guys would diet down for those expos. Oh, the Arnold Columbus is coming. I got to diet down. There's going to be a lot of people at the expo. I got to look good. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to look big in a tank top, and I'm going to the expo, and I'm not ruining my off-season so I can look good one day in the middle of my off season, I'm not going to die down for one day in the middle of my off season. It's not going to interrupt my progress. So I don't really agree with the question. Now, like I said, if you're not a hardcore bodybuilder, you're not getting ready for a show, you're not getting paid or none of this. You're just doing it for fun. Yeah. Take the fucking week off, take the week off, do a ton of cardio, do a bunch of drop your carbs and just start getting shredded as fast as you can
0: for the, week. I don't think it's going to work in a week, but you can get some of that weight off. Um Habiz says, do you think politics play a role in show placings?
1: Not as much as people think. And I don't think it's politics like some evil thing going on behind the scenes. I think it's more like human nature politics. Like let's say, let's say you have a lineup of six guys and let's say you have a lineup of seven judges or six judges or whatever. And the head judge, maybe he's friends with, one of the guys on stage that guy's probably going to get a better look okay he he might get a better look because he's you know it's human nature i'm not saying that i'm not saying the judge is doing it on purpose he might just be like oh fucking so-and-so looks good this time around and he gives him an extra look right let's say it ends up being two people in the final call out and the one guy is really good friends with the head judge and the other guy's not i wouldn't be shocked if the guy who was friends won now i'm not saying if he's worse he's going to win i'm saying if they're fucking dead even then human nature might take over and he might get the nod but i don't think it's malicious like i don't think the judges sit around and plan like oh well we got it's not it's not wwe like i'm not i don't think they're saying like oh we should let sean beat phil because if sean beats phil then phil will have to come back and it'll make a great drama story i don't think that's what's happening i think it's if there's politics, I think it's more of a human
0: nature type politics. It's more unconscious than conscious. Uh, John 94 says thoughts on periodizing your training when training to really grow
1: example, eight week block of strength based training and an eight week more of hypertrophy. Uh, yeah, I like that. There was a long time where I would do like five weeks of strength and then probably 10, 10 weeks of growth. So the five weeks of my five week strength phase was based on five reps. So I would do five weeks where I would do less volume per set, like less exercises per body part. So I might do like three body, three exercises and I would do less sets total. So instead of five or four, I would do three maybe, but I would do heavier, heavier weight and I would do Five reps usually was the number for me. That was my strength phase. And now it's a very simplistic strength phase. It's not like any of these power lifter guys with their deload and reload and all this other shit. But I just did a lower volume, lower rep, more rest phase where I was focusing on strength, which actually I got bigger anyway. And then from there, I would transition to more volume, uh, more days, more, less rest. And uh, I would keep growing. I would lose a little bit of the strength that I gained, but I would keep growing. And then I would go back to it. And I, and I did
0: that for a long time. And it does work. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad idea at all. Uh, Migalito Rogue
1: says, should you still take a pump product even when low zero carbs? Yeah, why not? That's what they're there for. So a lot of pump products on the market now don't have carbs in them. And you can take them on a keto diet. It doesn't matter. You're still going to get a pump. But like it's still, like citrulline is going to work without carbs. Um, like any, any, of the, any of the main pump ingredients that you can think of are going to work without carbs. So you don't need to have carbs to take a pump product. It'll still work. You're still going to get a pump. Like even if you're on a keto diet, you you're still, your body at that point is using fat for energy. So you're still going to get a pump from that. So it's not that you can never get a pump because you're on low carbs. Because even when I'm on low carbs and getting ready for a show, I still get pumps. Now, they're not as good as when you're eating like a lot of carbs, but you still get pumps. 3 Abood 22 says, does pump equal growth? And does that mean site injections usually give pumps? Does that mean it grows better? No, no. Site injections do not give pumps. Site injections cause irritation. So if you do a site injection in your bicep, it's going to cause irritation and make your bicep swell a little bit. That's not the same as a pump in the gym. A pump in the gym is you're driving blood to the muscle because you're training it. And with that blood that's being driven to the muscle comes nutrients. That's all being driven to the muscle and causing it to, to swell. Now, the pump doesn't equal growth. The pump just means you drove a bunch of blood there and drove a bunch of nutrients there. What the growth is, is, you're tearing that muscle down by lifting weights. And then the growth comes afterwards when you're resting and the muscle regrows, right? So this is what it starts like. Your fibers are there. And when you train really hard, the fibers go like this and they tear, right? Start fraying, they tear. And then your body has to adapt to that tearing and it regrows the muscle bigger and stronger after you rest. So just having a pump doesn't mean you're growing. You could, I can go lift 10-pound weights and get blood drawn to the muscle, and it will, it will give me a pump. It doesn't mean I'm going to grow because it's not causing any type of trauma for my body to adapt to. You have to cause trauma that your body has to create a stimulus to adapt to so that the muscle can grow. Without trauma, there's no adaptation. So just pumping a bunch of oil into your bicep, even though it's going to swell up, there's no trauma being made there. So the bicep is going to look bigger, but only because there's oil there. It's not because it grew at all. So no, Uh, pump
0: does not equal growth and site injection oil also does not equal growth. Uh, Take a couple more here because we've been on for about an hour and a half.
1: Uh, how, when cutting, uh, a man, pal, a man, pal man says when cutting, how many pounds of fat do you try and drop per week? I find it difficult to maintain muscle as I cut down. I think I try to cut too much. Two pounds a week, two pounds a week. I feel like is a good average to lose. That's why when these people say, Oh, I lost 40 pounds in a month. I'm like, you fucking lost way too much weight and that's not all fat. You must've lost muscle in the process. Um, unless they were severely obese and then it's a different thing altogether, but two pounds a week is a good average to think about. Um, if you're losing muscle, yeah, you're dieting too hard. See, the worst thing people do when they want to lose weight is they cut a whole bunch of calories and they start doing tons of cardio and they just want to watch the scale drop. But it goes back to what I was talking about in a previous, in the, in the earlier in the, in the Q and a, if you drop your calories too far, you're going to lose muscle too. And if you lose muscle too, then your caloric intake for the day will go down. If that goes down, then now you have to eat even less food to keep losing weight. The best thing you can do is keep your calories as high as possible while doing cardio and, and then burn off fat and just bring your calories down a little bit to when you start losing weight. Even if it's like a 0.5 pounds a day or 0.25 pounds a day, as long as you're losing a little bit every day that's perfect because it means the less you're losing the better because you want to hold on to as much muscle as possible you want to lose a little bit every day but you don't want to lose like a pound or two a day because now you know part of that's muscle so if part of that is muscle then that's going to hurt me in the long run i'm going to have to diet even harder to get this to come to get to get weight to come off to get fat to come off so i want to retain as much muscle as possible while burning fat so it's very important to figure out what your calorie needs are for the day. So figure out your caloric need for the day and just subtract it by one or 200 calories. Don't just guess. Be like, well, I think I'm going to just eat 2,000 calories a day now and see where, what happens. And if you lose five pounds in a week, you're like, oh, awesome. I lost five pounds. It must be working. No, you lost five pounds. It doesn't mean you lost five pounds of fat. It could have been five pounds of muscle and fat which is not good. That's the opposite of what you want to do.
0: So uh, this is a situation in which less is more. Uh, I'll take this as a last question.
1: Jans Manderfeld says, talking about the podcast, maybe it's so cool to have someone from the Olympia organization or an IFBB judge on the podcast so they can give their side of everything you hear so many people complaining about judges etc but they never get an open platform to give their opinions and explain them further um i don't think that will happen one because those videos already exist um there are already some IFBB judges that have done a lot of interviews and explain their positions on things and extensive interviews on why they picked a certain person over another person but more importantly the podcast I'm doing is not about any type of drama or negativity. Okay. That's not why I'm doing it. I'm not doing a podcast to like solve any debates or like give people a platform to like fix whatever people are complaining about or anything like that. Or, or like somebody said, well, you should get William Bonack on or, or Sean Roden on so they can express. First of all, they don't want to come on. Okay. I asked William Bonack to come on before the Neil Hill thing came about and Neil and William respectfully said, I don't really do podcasts. I'm probably not. I'm going to pass. I respect him a hundred percent for that. I love that. He said no, instead of just giving me like a the runaround, but it, it's a, it's a thing. Like I don't want to have a podcast where people come on and William comes on and then, he bitches about Neil, and then I have to kneel on, have Neil on and Neil bitches about William. And it, My podcast is not about drama or negativity. And it's not about the judges explaining themselves or the Olympia organization explaining what they did to Sean or any, any of that is shit. The podcast is simply about this. The, the podcast was started because I wanted to give the pros at the highest level a chance to explain who they are what they stand for what they believe in what they take if they want to discuss gear or not uh what they eat what their diets are like if they cheat a lot if they don't cheat a lot on their on their diets if they just everyday stuff man and that's why i think people like it and that's what i think i want to keep it as i don't want to make it a drama filled you know it's not tmz it's not it's not generation iron it's not any of those it's not it's it's just bodybuilders having a conversation about their life and giving people a chance to listen. So they understand that we're just normal people that like to fucking work out. We're not these crazy, all these crazy things that have been said about pros. I'm trying to give the real pros a chance to speak for themselves. So you guys have a chance to understand who we really are. It's not about anybody, any of that other stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that. And the other series I did, with uh with luke that is just for fun I, Me and luke get along really well and i thought hey i'll put up another podcast another series with luke just to have a good time
0: so we can shoot the shit and, and have some laughs um i'll take one more george Christo ifbb pro says how much or little gear
1: do you use during the post contest rebound that's a good one to finish with.
0: Um, honestly, half. Probably half. Sometimes,
1: okay, you guys probably aren't going to believe this, but I think the best rebound I ever had was like 500 milligrams of test E, 500 milligrams of EQ. And I'm not saying it because that was my stack, I'm saying it because that was my off. Like I was planning on going off about four to six weeks after the show. So I wanted to run a small stack just to hit the rebound. And so I can keep my blood levels up. So I kept the testy and the EQ in, but only a five and five. And after the rebound kind of, you know, after like four to six weeks, it starts to fade a little bit. After it started to fade, I went off. And this was, a, this was at a time when I could go all the way off. Like now I don't think I can go all the way off anymore. Now I think I got to stay on like 250. But this was, this was probably my best rebound was about 10 years ago, maybe less, maybe less than that. But it was, I felt like I put on like 10 pounds of muscle. I probably didn't, but that's how I felt. But it wasn't, I don't feel like you need, speaking generally, I don't feel like you need a lot of gear post-show. Your body is so receptive to the food and to the different training stimulus. Because, you know, the last four weeks before a show, even though you're training hard, you're kind of running on fumes because you're just depleted and you're not not eating as much. And when your body gets that influx of calories after the show, your training is, even though it might feel the same in, in number, it's different. Everything just connects a lot better. Everything feels a lot better. Your pumps are a lot better everything's swole as fuck all the time. And I don't think you need a lot of gear to add to that. Now I do like a little bit. It's like, that's why I said five and five because I feel like it keeps my blood levels up. and keeps me from crashing like too hard earlier on. I want to let my rebound kind of last until my body, my body's done with it. Like I can feel if I start my rebound eating 5,000 calories a day, It will only last three or four weeks before I can start to feel things start to level off. And for sure, after four to six weeks, it's leveled off. There's like I'm not getting those crazy, crazy pumps anymore. At that point, that's when I go I went all the way off, did a PCT. I think I did that for six to eight weeks at the time. Blood work. After blood work, then I was back on. Now I just don't see it necessary being a necessary thing to be on a really high level of gear at a time when your body is just doing it by itself like it doesn't take much at that point like you're just eating just eating the food you're eating is making you crazy in the gym it's making you strong and your pump is crazy everything's crazy maybe i did it wrong maybe that's the best time to take more gear but i personally don't think so um because i also all i also use that time that time as a time to start to let to, let my body recover. So even though I was focused on the rebound, I know I put my body through hell when I'm dieting. So I wanted to give my body a chance to rebound after the show, but also didn't want it like rev it any higher that it, than it had already been going during my prep. So I kind of pulled back on a gear. It's always been the way I've done it. And I still feel like I get good rebounds. I just don't feel like you need a ton of stuff at that point. Okay guys. So we've been on for like an hour and a half I'm definitely going to cut this into two or three parts for the YouTube, but it'll be a one full part. Uh, the audio version will be one full part. So those of you guys who want to listen to it there can do that. Uh, I appreciate all the, um, I appreciate all the feedback and all the messages and please subscribe and share uh, and check out hostile.com for any merchandise that you want or like. And uh yeah, We'll come to you guys tomorrow with another
0: RBP uh, podcast with a special guest. So hope you guys are watching that. Thank you very much.